Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning. Our choir does such a great job, don't they? Amen. They do. They do a fantastic job. Their song this morning highlights the great promise of the gospel, that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And this morning, we're going to get a deeper dive into the promises of God. But first, let's recap where we've been. So far in this series, we have covered several holy moments, including Jesus's resurrection, his ascension, Pentecost, the power of the Holy Spirit. And this week, we are going to be focusing on my favorite holy moment, Peter's vision in Acts 10, 9 through 22. Now, this might, you might find it strange that this is my favorite holy moment. These are all monumental moments leading up to this. And Dave, why is Peter's vision your favorite holy moment? Well, I'm going to answer that question as we continue on. But please first turn with me in your Bible or your Bible app to Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 22. When reading a passage, I like to ask three basic questions. Every time I open the scriptures, I'm asking these three questions when I'm reading through. What's the background? What's happening in the text? And what does that mean for me today? And to understand why Peter's vision is my favorite holy moment in our series and why I think it should be your favorite holy moment too, we're going to have to answer those three questions together. So let's start with the background. What's the background to Acts 10? The short answer is, all of the holy moments that have preceded us. Uh, Jesus was not only crucified, but he had also risen again and ascended into heaven. Then the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles, giving them this amazing power. And we see Peter powerfully preaching the gospel message to those in Jerusalem. Then a man named Saul gets wind of this teaching, which is perverting the orthodox Judaism of his time, and works to kill the movement. And starting with the stoning of Stephen and quickly moving to any other professing Christian, Luke tells us this in Acts 8.1. On the day Stephen was stoned, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Then in Acts 9, Paul has his Damascus Road experience and becomes a follower of Jesus. These were the major movements leading up to Peter's vision. Now, what we have to keep in our mind is from Jesus' death all the way to Peter's vision in, in the context of Scripture happens very quickly. So most of the time when we're in a narrative of Scripture, things are unfolding over decades. Uh, Sometimes, as we've gotten into the story of Israel, an entire set of chapters will span centuries. 
Here, we're just in a couple years. This is pretty quick and fast movement, so it's important for us to understand all of these big building blocks to understand what's going on in Acts 10. Now, Acts 10 opens up telling us about a God-fearing Gentile by the name of Cornelius. And an angel informs Cornelius that God has heard his prayers and wants him to talk to a man named Simon Peter. So Cornelius sends a few of his men to go and find Simon Peter and to bring him to his house. And here's what happens next. Acts chapter 10, verses 9 to 23. I'll read it for us. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Now let's ask our second question. What's happening in the text? Peter's given a vision about a sheet being let down from heaven, containing animals that were considered to a Jew unclean. And if you're interested in those various ceremonial laws, which regard what you can and cannot eat if you're a Jew, I invite you to go to Leviticus chapter 11, and you can have fun in the book of Leviticus. Yet God tells Peter to kill and eat. As he's pondering what this vision could mean, Peter is told that a centurion by the name of Cornelius has sent men to go find him and bring them, bring Peter back to him. And then Peter invites these men as guests. The next day, Peter goes to Cornelius's house. As he begins telling Cornelius and everyone there about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, here's what Luke tells us happens next in Acts 10, to 45. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that is Jewish believers, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Here we see another event very much like Pentecost, but with one very important twist. Up to this point, the only believers in in Jesus have been Jewish. Christianity wasn't a new religion. 
It wasn't even called Christianity. It was loosely called the way by the Jewish believers. None of them saw themselves as being disconnected from Judaism. They simply understood Jesus as the Messiah and were re-understanding their faith based on this coming of the Messiah. They weren't interested in starting a new religion. That's not what they were up to. In other words, the Gentiles weren't even on their minds. There has been this tension uh, throughout the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament, where the Jews have kind of built a superiority complex over the Gentiles. They weren't thinking in terms of the Gentiles when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. They're still thinking about communicating the good news of Jesus Christ to their fellow Jews so that whatever God's going to do next with his elected chosen people of Israel might unfold. The Gentiles aren't even on their minds. So God, in order to prepare him, Peter, that is, for what was about to happen next, he gives him a vision showing him that what he thinks is unclean is clean. And this vision wasn't about the animals being raised and lowered. It was about Cornelius, this man coming, whom Peter would have said is unclean. I can't go to his house. His friends can't come in my house. There was a barrier. And God said, Peter, this barrier cannot exist. And so Peter is open to talking to Cornelius. So God does something pretty unexpected for Peter. So let's ask our final question. What does all of this mean for us today? Well, there's an immediate meaning And there's a broader meaning. Here's the immediate meaning. Jesus is for me too. I don't know if you've noticed, I'm not Jewish. I I can't cling to a Jewish heritage. I don't have that. If you happen to fit in that camp with me and you don't have a Jewish heritage and yet cling to the gospel message as your own, Peter's vision is the most monumental moment for you. Because it opens the gate for you to be able to cling to all of the other major moments in Scripture. That is your moment to be able to cling to the gospel and call it your gospel. Jesus is for us too. It's why it's my favorite holy moment. It enables me to cling to the good news. Now, that would be good news enough if that's all we got from this passage. But there's a broader meaning. So that's like the thousand foot view meaning. If we zoom out to 30,000 foot, God is up to some big things. First, God is faithful. We see God's faithfulness unraveled in this passage in a really unique way. The vision that God gave Peter wasn't a new revelation. He wasn't showing Peter something new. He was showing Peter the something that he missed. It was an old news. And Peter was just being reminded of the old promise that God made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 17. Here's what that promise said. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. 
Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Did you notice God's promise to Abram? Then turned Abraham, nations, not a nation. Abraham wasn't just promised a nation, the nation of Israel. He was promised many nations. In fact, the transition of his name from Abram to Abraham, Abraham literally means father of nations. So God's saying, I'm going to do something unique and special with these people. I have elected the Israelites in order to be my messengers so they can declare who I am to all of the nations. They were to be a kingdom of priests to the whole world describing who God is and what he has done for them. Yet for some reason, Israel experienced a disconnect. They looked at their election as, I'm God's favorite, you are not. They turned it into a we're in, you're not in type of relational dynamic when it comes to God. And through this vision, God's reminding Peter, no, 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 no. It has been about the nations and people experiencing my love since the very Beginning. So with his vision to Peter, God is stretching his imagination to make room for what he's been doing since the very beginning of time, which is redeeming those who have faith in him. Here's what that tells me. When God promises that he's going to do something, he does. End of story. God made a promise to Abraham Thousands of years before Peter, he had not forgotten. He didn't get distracted. He didn't get confused. He followed through. God is faithful in his promises. My daughter Addison is in this phase where when I promise her something, she asks me this question. Drives me crazy. But what if you don't? She gets hung up on the fact that what is happening right now is not what she wants to happen. And when I tell her she can have it later, it's a constant refrain, but what if you don't? I I wish that I could explain to you how often it happens. It's like an every three minute thing. It's not just once in a while. I do it a hundred times a day with her. We actually had this conversation just the other day over a popsicle. This is how she wakes up in the morning. I can't believe this is how she wakes up in the morning. She said, Daddy, can I have a popsicle for breakfast? First words out of her mouth. Not good morning, not how are you, how, are, how did you sleep, Addison. Daddy, can I have a popsicle for breakfast? And I said, 
You can have one after your, your nap. No, we don't eat popsicles for breakfast here. Then she said, but what if I can't have it after nap? I always answer that question, or I work hard to answer that question. I work hard to be differentiated in that space rather than going, why do we do this every day? When has daddy not kept a promise for you? When has that happened? I promised you you could have it after nap. We'll have it after nap. You see, I work hard to keep my promises to Addison so that she'll trust me. But because I'm human, I am capable of forgetting my promises to her. So one day, I may disappoint her. That could happen. I'm only human. God is not. When God makes a promise, he's not going to forget about it. Even if it takes thousands of years to actualize, he will make good on that promise. God made this giant promise to Abraham, which spanned thousands of years, but saw it through in this holy moment with Peter, where Abraham truly became the father of nations. God has given us a lot of promises in Scripture. Do you ever respond to God's promises like Addison responds to promises that I make to her? Are you ever asking God, but what if you don't? But what if you don't provide for my needs? But what if you don't make my career work out? But what if you don't fix my marriage? But what if you don't heal my disease? Can I tell you something this morning? Can I tell you something this morning? Great, good. I wanted to, this, this has been bugging me a little bit. Sometimes we ask the wrong questions. Sometimes we ask the wrong questions. In this moment where Addison and I are wrestling about this popsicle, Addison's asking me the wrong question, asking, but what if I don't? What becomes a giant distraction for our whole morning, because she has a very focused mind. I don't know where she gets it from. Very focused mind. The whole morning has now become about getting the popsicle. That's all of our engagements. It frustrates me for the whole morning. Instead of us enjoying one another's company and doing a lot of fun things, we're hung up on this question, but what if you don't? I ask questions like this to God all the time. And I don't know about you, but just like my daughter, I get hung up in the space of God, but what if you don't? And I become distracted by my whatever that is, whatever I am wanting from God in that moment, I'm hung up on that moment and I can't let it go until God gives me an answer. I'm not enjoying the gifts that he's given me. I'm not enjoying his presence. I'm not leaning into any of the other promises. I want him to fix my problem. And when I'm in that mode, I'm asking the wrong question. Why I get frustrated with Addison in those moments is she's doubting my goodness. She's doubting my love for her. She's only hung up on the gifts that I can give her. I want her to trust my love for her, even if I don't give her a popsicle. Here's what Pella tells us about Jesus' love for us in Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I'm going to pause there. We can gloss over these things kind of quickly. This is a hard, heavy list. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. I have a lot of problems in my life. Most of them don't reflect that list. Right? Listen to what Paul says in 37. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I have to say it again. That was not an adequate response. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us, separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? That is good news. Nothing, nothing can separate from the love. We might go through confusing things in this life that are painful, but our God is faithful. So we can stand in the promise that no matter the situation, nothing, Paul means nothing, can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Even if I'm going through something that I don't understand, even if I'm going through something painful, even when I'm confused that he's not doing the things that I want, nothing can separate me from his love. Which leads me to a second very important application of Peter's vision today. for today. God's faithfulness is not limited to our understanding. The early Jewish believers did not understand what God was up to. They were confused by Jesus' death, awestruck by his ascension, empowered by Pentecost, yet still missed the whole point. God's mission was so much bigger than just Israel. He was redeeming the effects of sin on all of the world. Perhaps your current situation has you confused. Maybe you're not exactly sure what God is up to with you. Let it serve as a simple example, a simple reminder that you are not the one who is actually in control. God is. As God told us through the prophet Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways My ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Because we can trust in God's faithfulness, we can also trust him to be in control. We don't need to understand everything God is up to in our lives to surrender to his plan. In fact, If we need to know everything in order to trust God, then we haven't surrendered at all. I don't know about you. I need God to be smarter than me. If I can figure everything out 
God wouldn't be God, I would be God. Thankfully, I can't understand everything that God is up to in the world, in the church, in my life. His thoughts, what he comprehends is so much bigger than what I can comprehend. But praise God, his faithfulness is not limited to my understanding. It's so much bigger. Now, after Peter had the unexpected experience of watching the Holy Spirit be poured out on the Gentiles in the same way that it was poured out on Jewish believers at Pentecost, he had to go and talk to the other disciples. He had to catch them up to speed with what the Holy Spirit just did with him. I had to have a heart-to-heart conversation. So here's what he told them. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, the Gentiles, as they had come on us at the beginning. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to salvation. Did you notice what happened? Peter explained his actions and basically said, I watched God move and I didn't want to get in God's way. Then the disciples had no other objections. End of story. Maybe because I've been working in ministry for so long, this stood out to me pretty strongly. I have watched many pastors witness the work of the Holy Spirit Attempt to bring it into the church for them to get on board with what the Spirit is doing to only have the church ask a million questions about the things they don't understand and then for the church to say no. Friends, when we see the Holy Spirit move, we need to get on board. We know that God's ways are higher than our ways and that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But when we, by God's grace, transition from being confused about what God is up to to having our light bulb moment, we had better get on board with what the Holy Spirit is doing. If we don't, then we are warring against the Spirit of God and being utilized as a tool of the enemy. So here's a set of questions that I want you to reflect on this week. I'm going to invite you into reflective space. This passage has troubled me as I worked through it. It's messed with me. It's challenged me. And then as pastor and preacher, I have the awesome responsibility of getting to enable it to challenge you. Here's what I've been thinking about all week, and I I want you to have these reflections with me. What area or areas of your life are you finding it difficult to trust in God's faithfulness? If you're not sure, ask the Holy Spirit to guide your reflection. Invite him into that space with you. Then verbally release it to God. I don't just mean mentally, I mean verbally. Tell him, this is the thing and I give it to you. Second, what area in your life do you take pride in controlling? For example, maybe it's your finances. Perhaps you have such a blueprint on what good financial stewardship looks like that you haven't even considered asking God what he would want you to do with your finances. Perhaps it's your career. Maybe you've been working on this ladder progression 
and you've never actually asked the Holy Spirit, what do you want to do with my life? Because you've had it all figured out. Invite him into that space. Repent from control. Allow God to take control of that area in your life, especially if he asks you to do something that you don't understand. Finally, is there an area in your life where you know that you have been resisting the movement of the Holy Spirit? But for whatever reason, you just don't want to get on board. Today, this morning, before you leave this space, I invite you to surrender to the movement of the Spirit. Allow Him to control the outcome. Partner with His work so that He might be glorified. When we partner in that way with the Holy Spirit, these historical moments birth holy moments in our life and in the life of the church today. Let me pray for us. God, we stand awestruck by your faithfulness. Lord, we're so encouraged that your faithfulness is not limited to our understanding. Forgive us as our limited understanding has gotten the way of moving how you want to move. And help us to repent. Lord, help us to be active agents of redemption in your plan for your people so that more people might know who you are and your great unfailing love for them. Help us to reach our neighbors, our friends, and our family, those that don't know you. May we break down those walls just like you broke down the wall between Jew and Gentile. And may we grab them in to know your grace and your love. Father, guide us and lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.